This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air. Welcome to Headscarves and Good Yarns with me, Amal Abdullahi. The show is all about talking about race, diversity, and everything in between, all in the hopes of empowering a more empathetic Aotearoa. We talk about all these huge life things through the lens of people's lives and stories. I hope every yarn you take a wee gem from it and expands your heart and mind just a wee bit more. Welcome to another episode of Headscarves and Good Yarns. Um, before I get cracking into this week's episode, I just want to do a quick public service announcement about good old Miss Rona. So we are now in Omicron Phase 3. So at Phase 3, the focus is on safely managing COVID-19 at home so that we can keep our hospital beds free for people who are vulnerable and need medical treatment. Boosters are the best way to fight Omicron and protect yourself and your whanau. Um, And if you are eligible, um, it's critical that you get boosted as soon as possible. I mean, if you choose to do so. Um, If you do, you need to be over the age of 18 years old and your last vaccination or the second vaccination, sorry, was at least three months ago um, because evidence shows that protection against infection after the primary dose decreases over time. So getting a booster tops up um, your immunity and boosts your immunity against COVID-19. They also help slow the spread of the virus and they lower chances of getting um, really, really sick from COVID-19. Um, so more of us can stay well. Um, so two shots with great protection against Delta, but um, for Omicron, or for Omicron, sorry, uh, best to get your booster. Um, and if you're concerned about how to get the vaccination, you can book appointment using Book My Vaccine. Or if um, telephone, uh, the internet is just not your thing, there is a number that you can call. So it's um, 0800 28 29 26 um, and you can book your appointments or there are walk-in appointments as well um, and walk-ins are also available at some GPs so just check it out on the internet in your area where you can get walk-ins. Um, there are also translation services available in over 40 languages and then there's the option to use the New Zealand relay services as well. Um, if you have any cold or flu or COVID-19 symptoms, um, get a COVID test or if you're a household contact of a case, um, at phase three, PCR tests will be used for people who need it most and rapid antigen tests, so rats, will be more widely available. When you go for a test, the testing center will let you know which is the best for you. Um, and you can find COVID testing stations seven days a week at, and all this information is relevant for those who live in um, Otipoti, Dunedin, but there's a Tekaika testing station um, 9am to 4pm on Victoria Road. There's a Dunedin COVID community testing centre 11am to 7pm on 5 Malkin Street. Um, both a walk-in and no appointment is needed. Um, but if, to find out what's in your area, just um, go to uh, the COVID-19 government New Zealand website um, and you'll find all of that information there. So now that we've had the lowdown on Miss Rona, good old COVID-19, let's get cracking into this week's episode. So I really wanted to dedicate this episode to talk about the hijab and what it's like to be a Muslim woman. You know, I have spoken about 
you know, Islamophobia before. I have spoken about, um, you know, just the struggles of um, the Muslim community before on the show. But I think the position of being a woman who wears the hijab is on um, on another level, I think. It's quite niche and nuanced. And after hearing about what happened at Otago Girls High School, I, I definitely want to dedicate an episode talking about it. So what exactly happened at Otago Girls High School? So on February the 9th, Hoza, a Muslim teenager girl who was a student at that school, was brutally beaten and had her hijab ripped off at Otago Girls High School. Um, Hoza and her other Muslim friends um, were asked by a group of three non-Muslim individuals to teach them swear words in Arabic, which they refused, and then that ended up in a violent assault against Hoza and her friends. So Hoza and her friends were verbally harassed and physically abused, um, Hoda was the one who received the most violence as she was hit on her head, face, neck and shoulders, um, causing concussion and other serious injuries. She was later rushed to the hospital, not because the school called the hospital, her own father called the hospital um, as the ambulance wasn't called before. Um, and after the fight finished, like after the physical abuse happened, um, the violence was still present. They then spat, um, pulled the fingers at um, the girls and yelled out really horrible things like Muslim B-word, terrorists and other other not cool stuff. Um, and this is not the first time that this has happened. So last year, uh, different attackers accused Muslim girls of being terrorists and they were also verbally, verbally harassed. Um, and the harassment was in Arabic. And a report was written, uh, sent to the school by the parents, but no response was given and no action was taken to stop the further Islamophobic acts from happening. And last update, which you can read on the Justice for Horda page, um, and that update was on the 22nd of February, um, the School expelled two out of the three students, and the third one was um, referred on to a counsellor. And um, all the attackers have been referred to youth aid by the police. So, youth aid is a youth justice system that um, is for people under the age of 18, um, because in New Zealand, the, you know, you're legally considered an adult at 18. And so, with the youth aid justice, with the youth aid justice system, um, it ensures that youth still get held accountable for their actions, but they also acknowledge um, the needs, they also acknowledge the context, so it's not, um, there's a more focus on rehabilitation, I suppose. And the school have also apologised to Hoda and to the other victims' family through a school notice that was sent out to parents last week. And I would also like to point out that um, the attackers, this, was, this wasn't their first attack. So last year in February, um, two of the girls that was involved in the attack against Hover and her friends have attacked and stomped on a teenager's, uh, a fellow teenage girl's head um, in Dunedin. And the, the victim of this attack also suffered from a concussion. There was video footage of this that was shared online. Um, 
also the attacker's violence was known by many others and was even filmed um so you know this is not like an isolated one-off event and um i think talking about what happened you know uh, you know afterwards after the attack happened um and the school didn't really make any response um there was a huge social media um campaign people were signing petitions um to get the school to do something you know just putting pressure on them um the campaign was really well spread i mean even bella hadid um shared it on her social platforms as well and um so the result of the petition was the school apologizing and the expulsion of two of the three attackers and it makes me curious as to what would have happened if there wasn't any social media presence and the whole world wasn't like looking to Otago Girls High to see what the next step would be um and I think what when I first heard about what happened at Otago Girls High School it just initially upset me because you think that after the Christchurch, Christchurch, oh, Christchurch sorry, terrorist attack that things like this wouldn't happen and would take a bigger stance against Islamophobia. Um, but it's very real, um, still very much a thing. Racism is still very much a thing. And um, yeah, that's why I really want to dedicate this episode to talk more about the hijab um, and kind of unpack the wider things kind of surrounding what happened at Otago Girls High School because it didn't happen in isolation. Um, with everything in society, it ripples and we see this attitude um, being echoed in other places, not just within New Zealand, but globally as well. Um, and I also want to thank my sisters Ro- Rowena and Tasmia. Um, they you later on in the um episode you'll get to hear their thoughts on what the hijab means to them and how we can be better allies to um muslim women but also the wider muslim community as well so enjoy before we unpack um more about what happened at otaku girls high school and widely just talking about hijab and the way that Muslim women are viewed in society I kind of just wanted to talk about what the hijab means to me um, and what what the hijab is so uh, the hijab is a concept of modesty and privacy and it's not just something that's unique to um, Islam you know it is this concept of modesty and privacy is um, expressed in other religions such as Judaism and Christianity as well. So it's not just, um, you know, Muslim women who cover their hairs, but cover their hair, sorry. Um, but in, yeah, the concept of hijab is uh, n- n- expressed in women's clothing. So it's not just the fact that if you wear hijab or not, because, you know, it's not, you don't like have to wear the hijab, even though I think in the within the Islamic world that is um, controversial. Um, but the way that I interpret the Quran, if you don't wear the hijab, it doesn't make you any less Muslim. But it's also like in the way that you dress right. Like it's encouraged to not wear super tight form fitting clothes because 
that kind of goes against the um, concept of hijab as well. And hijab is also in the way that you behave as a person and your values. Like, are you humble? Are you... um, do you behave with modesty and, and consideration for others and all these sorts of um, types of values? Um, so, yeah, it, it can be interpreted in many different ways. Um, but if you were specifically after, like, what verses, if you want to go and do some further research after this, um, I'd recommend um, verses 30 and 31 in chapter 24 um, and verses 32, 33 in chapter 33, and verses 53 and 54 in, as well, as, as well as in a meaning in chapter 33 as well, um, if you wanted to go out and do, and do further research for yourself, um, but for me, the hijab is, it's so hard to actually answer this question, because it's just so, it's just very much me. I feel like I, it's like a, it's not just an accessory. It's like, I cannot be myself properly if I were to not wear my hijab out and about. Um, but it's an immense sense of pride because when people see me out and about, they know that like I wear my Islam on my sleeve and living in a country where wearing hijab isn't um, the norm, it's really nice to still be so proud of my um, religion that I'd wear it no matter what. So it's a sense of um, pride and a strength. And it's also very grounding wearing the hijab in the sense that it brings me back to who I am. And just a disclaimer like I'm not a perfect Muslim at all and I think you know there would be some people within the Muslim community who would look at how I interpret and live the values of Islam and and what is in the Quran and find that it might not be up to the same standard as their Islam so when I'm saying all of this stuff like just disclaimer because I'm not a perfect Muslim and this is just what I think as well and um, you'll hear from Rowena and Tasmia as well and, and get to hear what the hijab means for them but um it means so much <laughs> it means so much um to me and I think um I wouldn't be Amal if I didn't have my hijab and um, it also gives me confidence that's what the hijab means to me because I I do feel protected because I know that no one's really looking at me like that um, so it gives me access to just really be exactly who I am and not have to worry or think about that pressure of my looks at all um, because, you know, as soon as you have the hijab on, it's like, okay, I really am seen for who I am. Because there is nothing else to focus on because it's all covered up. So um, that's, that's what the hijab means to me as well. And you'll hear from Rowena and Tasmia about what the hijab means to them. So what does the hijab mean to you? For me, the hijab is a symbol and declaration of my faith to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
when I wear it, I wear it with pride. I wear it with confidence because when I'm out in the community or I'm in public, people see my hijab and they automatically see or assume that I am a Muslim. As a revert of five years, it's gotten to the point where if I'm not wearing it, it's almost as if a part of me is missing. I've sort of grown into it because I feel a lot better when I have it on rather than when I have it off. Assalamu alaikum. What does the hijab mean to me? To me, hijab is a way of expressing my identity. I've grown up always being surrounded by the Muslim community in many places in New Zealand. And I have always been identified as Muslim as I started wearing hijab from a very young age in places where I would be the only woman or Muslim female wearing the hijab. And I've it's grown to be a part of me. It empowers me as a woman. It allows me to stand up for my rights that Islam has already given us, but we have not been given in today's world. It not only has the power of myself, but as well as every other Muslim woman fighting for the same rights and <clears throat> acknowledgement that we are. It binds us to community and it's a statement of my commitment to Allah and Islam. There are so many reasons why I wear hijab and what it means to me. <clears throat> and it's beautiful. Um, another thing that my hijab is to me is it's a layer of protection. In New Zealand, we do get singled out for wearing hijab, especially as a young woman. Um, we're told that it may hold us back and we're judged for it. But Allah, it protects us against being environments that as Muslim women, as Muslim in general, should not be in. It's, it brings us awareness of Allah and it protects our souls. I also want to spend some time talking about what society misunderstands about Muslim women um, because we are severely misunderstood um, by so many different groups of people and I think when you get an insight as to what's misunderstood about us then that in itself is an education because now you're being exposed to a blind spot that was previously there and I love asking this question 
to other people all the time because it's so eye-opening and insightful Um, because I think the misunderstandings stem from you know often assumptions or biases or stereotypes right so to ask someone what is misunderstood about you um, is another way to kind of intimately know their struggles that they face in the unique position of privileges and lack of privileges that they have so I really wanted to um, spend some time kind of talking about this and you'll also hear from Rowena Tasnia and um, hear, hear what's to be said about this and you'll also hear from Raj as well for, for this question um, so my girls can also put their two cents in but for me when I think about what's misunderstood about um, Muslim women is just the assumptions that people or society have about our expansiveness and ability to do things in life like from one side you have that western point of view that we're all oppressed and that we have we don't have the ability to make any kind of choice for ourselves whether it be if we wear the hijab or not um what side of the road we can drive on arranged marriages and all these sorts of things and i think you know this is not entirely rooted in ignorance and um not a lie i think a lie is the wrong word but it's not all false right like unfortunately for a very small percentage um those things are very true those things are very, very true and um, it's very heartbreaking, but that's not the norm at all. So from the Western point of view, there's this assumption that we just can't really do anything. Um, and then from the other side as well, I think um, we the struggle is the fact, okay, if you take away the fact that we're Muslim, we're also women as well. And I think every woman can kind of relate to the fact that even though it's 2022, there are a lot of biases against us. There's a lot of assumptions. We still are not equal. And um, what's happened, and this happens in every society, not just within the Islamic world, but I think the patriarchy has taken... Um, religion and used it for its own agenda right and so those um presidents precedents sorry are still there and it's really hard um to argue with that like I remember I was on um a council it was a Islamic students council and I was on it for a couple of years and one year we had a female president in uh, one of the years it was a male president and the way that our female president wasn't taken as seriously was still very much there and so I guess what I'm trying those two things seem like they're conflicting each other like well you say the western world thinks that Muslim are very oppressed but then now you're just kind of saying that that kind of happens Amal and I know that sounds really confusing but what I'm trying to say is is on both sides we're kind of misunderstood as to how much agency we have and I think that's really frustrating because 
as Muslim women, we can do anything that we put our minds to. And we have the freedoms and the right to live life as we please. Um, but on either side, no matter how you interpret it, that isn't understood. And I think another thing that's misunderstood about um, Islamic women is the fact that people think that we just all think the same. And that's not true. We are just as unique and um, magical and curious and different as any other population is. I think people assume that we all look the same because we dress the same. <laughs> and even that is not true because there are women who don't wear the hijab and even with in the hijab wearing world there are so many different ways that you could wear it um like the way that i wear mine for example i show my neck some people don't agree with that and some people completely cover their faces and that's fine like hijab comes in so many different forms and um just because we kind of dress similar ish it doesn't mean that we are all the same person or have the same aspirations we don't we're just as diverse as any other population and um my other sisters will hop in and share what they think is misunderstood about muslim women What's something you think society misunderstands about Muslim women? I feel a lot of people think and have these stereotypes or assumptions that women of Islam are forced to wear a scarf, that we are oppressed and don't have a voice. In the religion, it's actually quite the opposite, because there's no one forcing us to wear a scarf. It's our own choice to do so, and even if we do, that doesn't make a non-hijabi sister any less than a hijabi sister. Because we never know what one's true man is in Islam, and that's not for us to judge. In regards to the oppression type assumptions, those again I feel are rooted more of cultural influences than the religion itself. I think what society misunderstands about Muslim women is that we're encouraged to speak up against what's wrong, we're encouraged to have a voice to use our voices to make good changes. We're not oppressed. And I think because of media and a lot of different things, it's portrayed that we're these timid women that hides behind different things but that's not the case we have strong muslim role models and i think as muslim women we sometimes forget the power that we do hold in making change and speaking up but that's definitely one thing that I think is misunderstood about Muslim women. What is something that I think society misunderstands about Muslim women? I think the implication that Muslim women are submissive, um, that Muslim women only exist to please Muslim men, I think is a really, really common one and one that I have struggled with a lot in the past. Um, that Muslim women are often forced into believing what they have to believe, 
which certainly might be the case for a really small percentage in certain parts around the world, but is definitely not the case in Aotearoa. Um, I think society thinks that Muslim women don't have a voice or don't have the confidence to speak out and be who they want to be. And I think that actually says more about Muslim men than it does about Muslim women. I think it says that we as a society exist around the patriarchy and around men. So there's no way that a Muslim woman could almost exist not to be pleasing a Muslim man. And I think that's really, really not right and not true at all. Muslim women are so strong, so independent. Um, They're outwardly wearing their faith on their sleeve, which I think is really, really different than Muslim men do. Um, Yeah, I think that's a really big misunderstanding. The next thing that I wanted to talk about this episode was how can people truly support Muslim women and the wider Muslim community and fight against Islamophobia? Um, Because, yeah, as I said before, when I heard about what happened at Otago Girls High School, A, it brought up um, a lot of memories, but not in a good way because I used to get like you know I was kind of already teased for being um a black girl before I started wearing the hijab but once I started wearing the hijab it was just another thing that kids would use to uh bully me um and to single me out for and um and it wasn't just kids actually I keep saying kids it was like grown adults actually who would feel the right to come up to me and say all sorts of things um which now that I'm an adult, I'm just like, what the heck? Why would you go up to a child and say something horrible like that? I mean, keep it to yourself. Um, but I also just thought about how is this still happening um, after the Christchurch terrorist attack? Because little thing, things like this, they might seem little, just like a word here and there. Well, actually, not even in Holder's case, it was little because she literally got concussed. But this kind of behavior you think that you can excuse it um away somehow um like I'm very some I was reading something the other day and they're just talking about um raising things to HR and how hard it was actually because they made this good point of you know once you call it a a racist thing or a Islamophobic thing um it makes it real and there's that obligation to do something about it, which I think is very obvious, um, but something that people want to stay away from, right? Once you label it as something, it's like, okay, God, we have to do something about this now Um, and it's not okay. And the threshold for what's considered racist or um, islamophobic is is very high unfortunately because I just don't know if as a society we are ready to like follow through and be allies especially those who have agency or power or are in those kind of bigger leadership roles which is really disappointing because um, we need those who are in leadership roles to kind of set the tone, set the precedent and say, actually, no, I like we're lowering the tolerance and this is um, this is where it is. And I I think there's a couple of things that we can do to truly support Muslim women and the wider Muslim community and fight against Islamophobia. And all the things that you heard the girls and I talk about in the earlier question about what society misunderstands 
like do the opposite of that and that is approaching Muslim women with respect and curiosity and not making any assumptions about their lived experiences because you know even if people mean well um they definitely project their assumptions on me and I straight up do not appreciate that like at all um yeah I just straight up do not appreciate that at all because um it makes me it's exhausting, like, actually having to correct someone and be like, actually, no, this is not what it's like, because then it kind of puts you in a position where you then have to educate, um, so it's really, really exhausting, and be, you know, you don't assume the lived experiences of those who are of the majority, right, like, I, yeah, you just actually can't, like, that just doesn't happen, um, so just because we're a marginalized group or a minority group we cannot be forced all into one box um so approaching um not just muslim women but in everyone with um curiosity and the willingness to listen instead of projecting your assumptions and i think kind of um acknowledging that the fight against islamophobia is going to be a combination of individual actions as well as systemic changes as well and I think as an individual we can yeah as I said before approach people with that curiosity and um, empathy and not wanting to assume um, yeah not wanting to assume their lived experiences um, but also getting out there and educating yourself in a way that makes sense to you about Islam and about, um, you know, our cultures and traditions and all these sorts of things, because what the media and like what general society likes to project is not true at all. Um, and I encourage people to go out there and get that education um, in whatever form makes sense to you, like not everyone's a podcaster, not everyone reads books or listens or watches documentaries, um, you know, if there's an open day at the mosque and they do happen quite often or if you do know a Muslim person in your life who is willing, so ask permission first, but who is willing to sit down and kind of be like, hey, this is this is what this is and this is what this is for me, um, that's amazing too, but uh, getting that education. And I think this last one is the most important one, to be honest, um, and that is actively using your voice and say that this is not okay. Because, I mean, I, I wasn't there when Holden and her friends were being attacked, but I bet you there were people who were recording it or there were people who was just watching it go down and it happens quite often. And when I, like when I hear about um, something racist or Islamophobic or sexist or ageist or any of the ists going down in front of, in front of me or around me and people don't say something, even though they know it's clearly wrong, what it says to me is that you there is so much distance in your mind between you and that person or you've kind of dehumanized them in a way where you're like I actually 
don't need to step in because I like their pain right now is not valid in my mind like that's what it says to me and I'm not saying that as if it's gospel or if it's the truth but in my mind that's what it's saying to me because it's really easy to say um well I it's really easy to know that that's obviously not wrong but I think when people um are just watching something happening for whatever reason in their brain there's like so much distance they feel as if it has nothing to do with them and there's no need to um step up at all which I think is really horrible the fact that you know we've as a society we've distanced ourselves so much that we can't even rely on the connection that we're just all humans and you wouldn't want that happening to anyone else in your life or you um and it kind of connects to what I was talking about in previous episodes um, about the Christchurch terrorist attack where I was like, you know, that languaging of um, they are us was actually really um, important for me to hear at first because I was like, you know, there have been so many hate crimes against um, the Islamic community that it's just been put aside, put aside, but then for the country to be like, no, they are us in this pain even though we won't quite understand it and it was, yeah, even though we don't quite understand it, like this is something that we share, we see you, we recognize you, right? Now that languaging, I do not appreciate it at all. Um, and that's for a conversation for another time. But it's kind of like when people do stand up and say something, when something is going wrong, it's like that distance, it's not there anymore. And for whatever reason, that person has connected to themselves to what they see happening in front of them. And so if people just um, bystand, it shows to me, oh, there is no connection. And that sounds so crazy to say, right? Because we should, we're all humans and we should just not tolerate that kind of behavior. But, um, We've made these differences between ourselves and our heads, which is not cool at all. And I know that not everyone um, thinks like that. And there are people who do stand up. um, But there have been so many incidences go by where no one has said anything. Um, And I've seen it. I've heard about it. um, I've read about it. So I think using your voice and not being a bystander is how you can truly support Muslim women and the wider Muslim community. And from a um, systemic level, there needs to be some changes as well with our policies, with the language that we use, um, like the anti-refugee, anti-migrant feeling just makes me feel really unsettled. Um, as well as just seeing what's um, happening in Ukraine and the difference um, in language that's used around um, the people of Ukraine and, you know, compared to the people of Syria or the people of, um, or, you know, people from Arab countries, Afghanistan, for example. Like, it's, it makes it sound as if, 
what's happening to Ukraine is unfair to these people who don't deserve it, but then is kind of implying that everyone else, um, it's expected, it's normal, they deserve it, you know, somehow because they come from a country like that or they're terrorists or like all these really Islamophobic sentiments and I think we need to um, stand up for that more, stand up for policies that feed any kind of Islamophobia, um, stand up for any kind of media that feeds on that Islamophobia as well because when it's in, inseminated into big structures like that, it somehow makes it true, doesn't it? So um, we need to fight up against that and use our agency um, to make sure that we lower that bar because there really should be zero tolerance. Um, and you'll also hear from Rowena and Tasmia on their thoughts on how to truly support Muslim women, the wider Muslim community, and fight against Islamophobia. How can people truly support Muslim women and the wider Muslim community and fight against Islamophobia? I think people need to be a bit more open-minded that not everything you see on TV about Muslims is true, or that the minority and choices of a few reflect the majority in many of us. It's a work in progress, I believe, by helping spread awareness and talking about it, educating others, getting those conversations happening and going with people are some good moves in the right direction. I think a way that the wider Muslim community can truly support Muslim women against the fight of Islamophobia is by seeking knowledge, by learning about our own deen. When we take the time to learn about our roles in Islam as men and women, we're able to stand up for our sisters and brothers, especially our sisters as sisters wearing hijab are more likely to be targeted. So gain your knowledge. Um, and when you see or hear something that is not right islamically as a human stand up against it because there's so much misinformation out there about islam and as muslims it's our jobs to constantly seek knowledge it's our responsibility and to use that to help each other out, to spread peace, to spread awareness. And that's truly the only way that we'll ever stand a f chance against Islamophobia. Because Islam is beautiful. And by being people that um, express Islam, by being a practicing Muslim, by learning and bettering yourself as a person, as a Muslim, you're able to, people are able to see that. And the last thing that I really wanted to highlight um, in this episode 
is just talking about how global this problem is. Um, because what happened at Otago Girls High School is just kind of an echo or a ripple of what else is going on in society. And um, a lot of Muslim people living in New Zealand, sorry, living in New Zealand, but also in other countries can tell you the same thing about, you know, how they're treated, how they're viewed, um, how people treat them, how people talk to them, about them, all these sorts of things. Um, it's not just a New Zealand problem. It's a global problem. And the hijab is definitely one of those things that people push back against a lot because it's visible, right? Like it's a very obvious sign of your Islam if you do wear the hijab. And um, there's a lot of... Um, yeah, there is a lot of controversy around it, um, and not that it has to be, but because of these Islamophobic sentiments, the hijab has become quite controversial. Um, for example, in France, the French senators have just recently voted to ban hijab in sports competition, and so the amendment was proposed by a right-wing group um, and the amendment was adopted with 160 votes to 143, which is quite an overwhelming majority. Um, and their argument for that was neutrality is a requirement um, on the field of play. And so any kind of wearing of religious symbols is prohibited because it impedes on that neutrality. And... Um, also, they said hijabs can put at risk the safety of athletes wearing them, which is a whole lot of BS, to be honest. Um, but somewhat good news, a commission um, which is compromised of members from the Senate and the lower house um, can find a compromise on the text before it's published. So, you know, the amendment can still be erased. Um so who knows if that ban will be um, implemented for the 2024 Paris Olympics. Um, and the organising committee didn't um, respond to uh, Al Jazeera, whose article that I'm reading um, for this. And, um, and then this vote came a year after um, French Parliament's lower house approved a bill to... Um, strengthen oversight of mosques, schools and sports clubs in a bid to safeguard France from quote-unquote radical Islamists and to promote respect for French values. Um, and this is a trend or a theme that I see keep coming up again and again and again um, when it comes to Islamophobia. It's like, it's kind of, because it's a whole lot of bull, it really is, but it's kind of disguised under the um, guys of it's guys or geese do you know which word I'm trying to say G-U-I-S-E however you mean to pronounce that one um, sorry y'all I, I read a lot but I actually don't have the opportunity to say all of these words out loud so sorry if I said it wrong um, but they yeah they make it out as if it's it's good for us because it's protecting us and then also there's that sense of othering as well like French values New Zealand values Australian values 
British values. Like these values are prioritized, right? And prioritized in a way where it's like if you are a Muslim, you cannot be part of us. Like it really does other because it puts a net line on. On one side, it's the said values of that country, and then on the other side is the hijab, it's Muslims, it's Islam, and that is crazy because then it makes you think, well, it makes you think, well, can Muslims not be part of French values or can Muslims not be part of New Zealand values? Like they're very much as a sense of othering. And then also this other layer of protection saying, well, we're being protected from radical Islamists, but then you're completely prohibiting a whole group of people practicing their religion it's like as if wearing the hijab is a slippery slope and then it's like oh okay then you know now they wear the hijab okay that's that's radical that's that's definitely a slippery slope to um being a radical islam um to being a radical muslim sorry which is also a complete sense of bs and it definitely perpetuates the idea that um, if you're a Muslim, you are a terrorist because if, you know, if it's too dangerous to even wear hijabs and we need to protect ourselves and respect whatever, um, whatever values and you can't even wear a hijab, then it makes you think, oh, therefore hijab equals terrorist, which is completely so silly because if you talk to, um, if you talk to the Muslim community, like we don't associate ourselves with radical muslims it's not part of our islam it's like a very small minority who's using religion to justify violence um which is insane which honestly is insane um so you're definitely like this kind of islamophobic um legislation it kind of builds up the idea of who is and isn't you know, whatever that country is, and and then it also puts that idea out that um, any kind of um, expression of Islam is a slippery slope to being a radical Muslim, and that's so harmful, and that is very, very dangerous. Um, very, very dangerous. Um, and sorry, I'm just reading another sentence that really jumps out to me. Um, in their amendment, senators said every citizen is free to exercise his or her religion, but insisted that one should refrain from putting forward their differences. Which I think is very interesting because it's kind of like a they're just trying to cover their asses kind of statement, right? Like you can you can do as you please. But you should, you really shouldn't try to make it obvious how different you are. And again, it goes back to that sense of othering, which is so BS. Um, and so, and this is on top of the ban on face coverings in general. So, as of the 11th of April 2011, it um, became illegal to wear a face covering, veil, or other masks in public spaces. So, so that means, so it's not all hijabs because veils, scarves, hijabs or other headwear that doesn't cover the face is not affected by this law. But, you know, for our sisters that were the burqas, that is, 
that is very harmful. And um, the law imposes a fine of 150 euros. I think that's what that sign means. Um, and it also threatens people's participation in education for those who violate the law, which is absolutely terrifying. That is a lot of power. Um, and in Canada as well, um, they ruled uh, in last year, around April last year, they ruled that the province may bar government workers in positions of authority. So police officers and judges from wearing religious symbols such as um, hijabs and also Sikh turbans on the job. Um, but this law can't be applied to teachers, principals and vice uh, principals that teach primarily in English. And um, the reasoning for this was, you know, to keep uh, it secular while providing services that, you know, relate to to the whole public, which I think is honestly a really weak reasoning because how someone presents doesn't hinder the service that they're about to give. And again, it's that sense of othering as well, which I just think is so BS and harmful. And then also it has other domino effects. Like you're now telling little girls who want to grow up and maybe wear the hijab for themselves when they get older that they can't. Like, because you literally won't see any Muslim woman wearing a hijab if they're a judge or if they are a police officer. Like, they actually can't do that, which I think is so silly, which is so silly. And I think when I read about what happened at Otago Girls High, you know, it's not the same level as a, um, a law banning uh, people from wearing the hijab, but I think the lack of response from the school initially and the fact that it even happened, the fact that there were bystanders, or bystanders, sorry, um, and yeah, the fact that it happened post Christchurch terrorist attack, it just makes me think that there's still a lot of work to work to do and unlearning and learning to do in this space because this Islamophobic sentiment is still very much alive in New Zealand. Um, the fact that, you know, Muslim people are seen as others is um, still very disturbing because I think um, Muslims are part of New Zealand values and are part of New Zealand society. Um, and so it's, yeah, really disturbing to me that this this is happening um, cause that's what it makes me think about. Like when I heard about what happened at Otago Girls High, this is the headspace that my mind takes me at because, um, I'm very, like as a Muslim woman, I am very hypersensitive to anything that's slightly Islamophobic because it just takes you back to this feeling of, okay, um, we are not wanted here. We are different and they want to, you know, squash our expression um which is not true and we need to we need to do better we need to know better we need to do better and so that we can also give that gift to um our rangatahi as well who are coming up thank you for tuning into this episode
Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Headscarfs and Good Yarns. To keep spinning the yarns, let us know your thoughts. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Headscarfs and Good Yarns or email us at headscarfsandgoodyarn at gmail.com. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.